The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you grab a hold of them and open them up to the book of 1 Peter? 1 Peter is where we are going to be today. 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, you can open a phone or a tablet. There are hardback black Bibles under every chair. And if you're a guest with us, man, we really, we don't do verses on screen. So grab one of those books, open them up to 1 Peter. You'll find that on page 1014. It's like the end of the book here. Okay. 1 Peter is the end of the Bible. There's only a couple books at the end. 1 Peter is one of them. And we're going to jump right in. I missed the first 12 verses last week. Kyle, our family pastor preached, uh, but we're going to pick this up in verse 13. So 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. Here we go. Therefore. All right, stop. Okay. This is going to take a minute. All right. Uh, therefore is a conjunctive adverb. We're going to do some grammar work today, okay? A conjunctive adverb. Uh, that is uh, it's a, an adverb that connects verses 1 through 12 with verses 13 and following. It's a conjunction. Remember conjunction, junction, if you're, uh, you know, older than this group? Uh, yeah, okay. You do remember that? Oh, that's cute. That's like a YouTube clip for you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll put it like this. I'll put it like this, Okay. I am a child of the 80s, okay? Uh, I've made that known here many times. Many times I've made that known, the 80s, the 80s, man. Uh, really good music, really bad hair, right? That's, that's how we qualify the 80s. And I know, listen, mullets are like back in, okay? So like, let's go, all right? I'm down with that. If you wanna do a mullet, uh, I support that in full force. Uh, anybody here, okay? Just so you know. Um, that sums up the 80s pretty well, but there are also, I was reflecting this week, there are also some really excellent, excellent 80s movies. Okay, 80s movies are some of the best. Here's some of my favorites. Back to the Future. Come on now, okay? Uh, Ghostbusters. Yeah, the first one, okay? Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then absolutely the best 80s movie of all times, The Empire Strikes Back, Okay. Okay, no, no, no question there. Uh, but, but one of my favorite all-time 80s movies is a movie called Coming to America. Coming to America. Have you, you know this movie? You guys know this movie? Some of you do, okay? Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall. Uh, now listen, I cannot officially recommend this movie to you uh, because it is rated R, and thus I have never actually seen it, okay? Um, <laughs> but if I had seen it, Coming to America tells the story of Prince Akeem. And Prince Akeem is the refined heir apparent to Africa's prosperous nation of Zamunda. Okay? Prince Akeem of Zamunda. And Prince Akeem does not approve of the prearranged marriage that his parents set up for him. And so he decides to make a journey to the New York City borough of Queens, Queens to find his soulmate, his, his queen. That's the, the story of coming to America. Now, because Prince Akeem is coming to America to find his bride, by definition, he's not planning on staying in America. He's coming to America, but he's not staying in America. He's kind of just passing through. He's on a mission. I'm here to find my queen. I'm here to find a wife. 
And yet, one thing that the viewer notices right away, which leads to many comedic situations, is that Prince Akeem is very different from all of the other native New Yorkers. He's different, okay? He comes in contact with people at the barbershop, on the streets, at his McDonald's ripoff job, okay? He comes into all these special places, and he doesn't look like, act like, or talk like the typical American, because he's, he's not. He's from Zamunda, okay? It's obvious that he's from another place. He's, he's different. I'm calling today's sermon, Be Different, be different. If you are here in this room and you're a Christian, now maybe not all of us are, but if you are here and you're a Christian, okay, if you are, uh, if you've been in, you are in Christ, you have been saved by surrendering all that you have to Jesus. You've laid it all down as your Lord and Savior. If you're a Christian, then what happened when you became a Christian is you became a citizen of of another place, a citizen of another place. You have become the citizen, a citizen of heaven. You became different when you became a Christian. The metaphor that, that Peter uses in first Peter one, that, that, that Kyle taught us last week is that we are exiles. Christians are exiles from our true country, the kingdom of God, heaven. And we have now taken up residence in another country, a temporary home, this world. We are exiles. That's the message from last week. That means before, listen, before you're an American, you're a Christian. Okay, before you're Korean, you're a Christian. Before you're a Republican, you're a Christian. Before you're a Democrat, you're a Christian. And yes, you can be both, okay? Just so you know. Before you're white, you're a Christian. Before you're black, you're a Christian. Before you're a cougar, you're a Christian. Before you're a buff, you're a Christian. I didn't know those two went together, but they do, okay? Listen, before anything else in the world, if, if Christ has saved you, if he is your Lord, that's who you are. You are a Christian first and I think we forget that very often. I do. I do. Okay? Many of us fail to live like we're exiles in this world. Okay? Exiles are not seeking to make their new country their permanent home. But exiles also aren't so fully removed from their home that they are uninvolved or uncaring about this world. There's these two polars, and, and we are neither of those things. While in exile, we aren't to fully assimilate, nor are we to be fully apathetic towards this world. Rather, we're called to be different. We're called to be different. And this is where we need to be careful, y'all. Uh, this world, especially America, especially Colorado, okay, at, at times can seem like it's the ultimate place. Like this is where we want to be, the mountains, the skiing, the camping, the city. Okay, maybe you're not like, I don't want to go to the woods. Okay, the city, the sports, the shows, the movies, okay, the family, the relationships, the friendships, the food. Oh my goodness, Chipotle, right? 
Like, this world, we can very quickly, it can, it can become all about this. It can become all about this. But the Bible teaches us this. Don't be too desirous of it. And don't be too disinterested in it. Instead, be different from it. Be different. Don't get too comfortable, Chris. Okay, don't get too caught up in this world, Chris. Like you're not from here, all right? You're, you're, you're gonna go to your true home someday. You're in exile, you're here temporarily. And that means while you're here, you're gonna be different. And this is the great tension for the Christian. Maybe you've heard it like this before, that we are to be in the world, right? Like in the world, okay, this is where I work and this is where I live and this is where I play. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. You may have heard it put like that before because the temptation is to go to those two polar extremes, to go all in on the world or to hide away from it and to protect yourself from it and to shelter up until Jesus comes and raptures you out of this place. And both polars, listen to me, are unfaithful to the Bible. They are not what God's word calls his people to be. The Bible teaches us to be different. But how do we do that? That's the question. How are we different? And that's what Peter's gonna get into in today's text. He gives us three imperatives Okay, three imperatives. Uh, I told you a lot of grammar today. Okay, imperatives. You know what the you know the difference between imperatives and indicatives. You know this. You remember this from school? No. Okay, I'll get, I, I see that. I see that head. All right. This is so important when understanding the Bible. This is so important. Okay, the indicative mood is used to state facts. Indicatives are facts. Okay, this is facts about what God has done or what God is doing or what God will do. Indicatives are statements. They are, they are statements. Imperatives are commands. Imperatives are what we should do. And I want you to note this. Uh, the Bible always starts with the indicative. It always starts with what God has done before it ever moves on to imperatives, what we are to do. Indicatives always precede imperatives in the scriptures. And so last week, verses 1 through 12, was all indicative. It was all statements of fact. You are exiles. Okay, You have been born again to a living hope. You have an inheritance in heaven waiting for you. Those are all indicatives. They're facts. And today, Peter gives us three imperatives, three commands in light of all that God has done. Therefore, that's where we're at, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, the first imperative, the, the, the first way that we are different as exiles is that we have a different hope. We have a different hope. He says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ Jesus. 
Our English word for hope, okay, does not really communicate what Peter is actually intending here, okay? In the English, we use the word hope as, you know, something that you want to happen. Kyle covered this last week. I'm not going to go deep into this, but, but uh, it's something that you're hoping for. It's something that you're just not sure if it's going to happen, right? Will I get the job that I want? Gosh, I hope, right? Will I meet that special someone this year? Oh, I hope. I'm hoping for that. Will the Broncos make it to the Super Bowl this year? No. <laughs> but you can hope. We'll see how this afternoon goes, okay? But see, listen, when we talk about hope in English, when we as Americans talk about hope, we mean uncertainty. Like, I'm not sure, I'm uncertain, but I hope it does, okay? Uh, but whenever the Bible talks about hope, the Bible idea of hope is, is it means certainty, Hope in the Bible means certainty. Set your hope fully is what Peter says. Full hope. You see, biblical hope is not wishful thinking. Rather, biblical hope is something that you're sure of. It just hasn't happened yet. That's what Peter means when he says hope. So the different hope that we have is certainty. It's, it's confidence in God's future, not in our current circumstances. And that's, remember, this is a book that is written to churches that are, that are under persecution, that are being, they're, they're suffering. And he says, hey, set your hope on the certainty of God's future for you. And then he does two things. Peter gives two participles. I told you, great grammar today, okay? Two participles to command this different hope, okay? He says these two things. You see it in verse uh, 13. He says, preparing your minds for action. That's the first participle. And being sober-minded. And then he says, set your hope fully on what Jesus is going to do for you. So those two participles are really, are really helpful, okay? Preparing your minds for action, uh, now, that is not what the Greek actually says. And if you're looking at an ESV, you'll see that there's a little footnote there, and you can look down from the footnote telling you the literal translation. What does that say? What does the Greek literally say? It says at the bottom of your Bible, probably. Gird, yeah, gird up the loins of your mind. <sighs> like, what does that mean, okay? Well... Well, in those days, okay, men didn't dress as awesome as I do, okay? Uh, back in the, I mean, you've seen The Chosen, right? They wore, they wore robes. They wore these long, flowing robes. Listen, not exactly the best outfits for strenuous activity, like running and jumping. There was no, like, CrossFit in a robe, okay? Not doing burpees in a robe. That's just, it's not how it works. So, so when you wanted to prepare yourself for some sort of action, you would gather the flowing robes uh, of your, that you were wearing and you would tuck them into that which girded you, which was normally a belt or like a sash around your waist. So you'd gather them up and you would tuck them in and with everything tucked in and your bare legs causing people to stumble, all right? With that happening, you were prepared. You were prepared for action. And that's what Peter's saying. He's saying, hey, if you want a different hope, if you want confidence in God's future for you, you need to be prepared. You need to be prepared for some action. You need to be girded. I mean, gird up your loins. Like this, ladies, this is like the ancient version of yoga pants. 
It's like, and listen, some of you never, never leave home without them, right? You're, you're prepared for action. That's what's going on here. But then note, note real quick here, it says, gird up the loins of your mind, of your mind. So put on the yoga pants of your mind. That's an image, okay? What he's saying is this. We need to be mentally prepared. We need to be prepared for strenuous mental activity. The whole of our minds, the rational part, the irrational part, everything about us that defines our thinking needs to be in line and in step with who Jesus Christ is. We need to be thinking, discerning, wise people. He says, get your mind ready if you want to have that hope. It's the first one. Second thing he says is, hey, be sober-minded. Gird up your loins and be sober-minded. Now, being sober-minded means that you see yourself correctly. That's what being sober-minded of mind is. It's seeing things correctly, okay? There's not a huge gap in how we see ourselves and how things actually are. Follow me here? Okay, so we see ourselves correctly. We have to understand where we're weak. This is why confession and repentance is so important. You need to understand that. You need to understand where you're strong, where the Lord has gifted you, spiritual gifts, your abilities, and your, your talents. You also have to be dialed into how God has created you and made you, your identity, who you are. I've put it like this in the past. There's no first three episodes of American Idol for an exile. You following me? Like, there's no, I can sing when everyone else around you is like, please don't sing, okay? You're sober-minded. You see yourself correctly. And, And Peter says, that's how we can have hope. That's the kind of certainty, hope that we can have. We keep our minds alert and we keep sober head on our shoulders and we hope for God's good future in the midst of hardship. It's different. It's a different hope. That's the first imperative. The second can be found in verses 14 through 16. Verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written you shall be holy for I am holy. Holiness, holiness. Okay, Uh, not a very popular idea today. Not a popular idea, but it's the second way that we are to be different from the rest of the world. We are to live a different life. Be holy, live differently heard another pastor say this, you know, you know how holy is spelled in the Greek? W-E-I-R-D. Weird, okay? That's a joke, okay? It's a preacher joke. That's why I said it was another pastor who came up with that one, okay? Be weird. Be weird. Be different. And listen, I know for some of you, you've been obeying this command intuitively since birth, right? You've just been weird since you were born. Like, you're proud of it, your weirdness, okay? And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I'm glad that you're weird, okay? I am talking about a different, more amplified version of that. 
an amplified version of different. The text says, be holy, holiness. Now, if you were reading in the Hebrew, the Hebrew word for holy is kadesh, kadesh, which literally means cut away, cut away. If you are holy, you are cut away from the world. You're, you're separate from the world. You're, you're totally different from the world. You're going to seem weird to everyone around you because you are literally, here's the, here's the, type, the illustration, you are literally cut from a different cloth. You're different. Listen, Christians live a different life. And I'll just tell you this. If, if at your job or in your neighborhood or your apartment complex or, or at your school, wherever it may be, whatever it might be, if you are in contact with non-Christians and they don't notice anything different about you, you better check to see if you're actually a Christian. That's a hard word. But I think I, I, think I mean it. You should live a different life and they should be able to see that you are different because you fundamentally are different. You're different. And we actually do damage to the gospel when our lips and our lives are out of alignment. It's damaging to the message of Jesus Christ. We, when, when we say that we're Christians, but we aren't any different in any discernible way, we call that hypocrisy. So listen, when I first became a Christian, uh, I was in high school and I blew it miserably at this. Just really screwed this one up, okay? Uh, I, I did not grow up in the church, didn't grow up in a Christian family. I started going to church in middle school. A friend invited me to go to his youth group. I started going to church in middle school. I got saved in high school, okay, a few years after I'd been going. You know you can go to church for many, many years and not be a Christian? Do you know that? Okay, I experienced that. That one's for free. You don't have to write that one down, but that one's for free, okay? Uh, but, but I started attending church when I was in middle school. And even as I started attending church, I kept doing the same things that I was doing before I started going to church with my friends who didn't go to church. Like I started doing the same things. I kept partying with my friends the same way I did before. Now I just called myself a Christian. I just called myself a Christian and I went to youth group on Sunday nights at this church. And I've told you about one of my friends from high school. His name was Clint. Uh, and back in high school, uh, Clint and I would hang out and we would uh, used to, we, we would drink, don't judge me, okay? Uh, we would drink natty ice, natural ice beer, okay? Uh, even if we weren't underage, that should be a sin, okay? <laughs> Just so you know. Um, so Clint and I would drink natty ice and, and Clint was not religious at all. In fact, he would have said at like a 16-year-old level that he was an atheist, that he didn't believe in God at all. And so when I started going to church, okay, I started talking to Clint about church over a, a natty ice. Oh, it was ironic, I know. But, uh, but Clint started asking me questions about church. And one question I remember distinctly, he said, hey, talk to me about drinking and and partying, and the fact that you're now going to church. Like he was, 
he was understandably confused at the incongruity of it. And he was like, I, I didn't think Christians did this kind of stuff. And I remember wanting him to think that I was still cool. And so I remember, I, I mean, I, this is a great regret of mine, y'all. I remember saying, oh yeah, yeah, my church is cool. My church is cool. It doesn't matter that I still do this. We do damage to the gospel when our lips are out of alignment with our lives. What if you could survey the non-Christians around you? Like, what if you could get them to fill out a, an honest, anonymous survey? What would they say? What would they say about you? They should say you're different. Not like in a smug way, all right? If you're smug, you're a jerk. That's not different than I'm talking about. Not that you're smug, not that you're arrogant, not that you're holier than thou, not that you're unrelatable as a human being. Ever tried that? Like met that Christian who you're like, you don't even talk like a human, okay? Like be relatable, like you can do that. You don't, not that you're unkind, no, none of those things, but they should know that something's different. Something is different. That's part of your mission as an exile. You're to be different. And, and listen, to some, that difference will be appealing. While to others, that difference could be appalling. And that's part of the mission too. This is really important, okay? So I, I just need you to lean into to this moment here. God has saved you. God saved you. He put his Holy Spirit inside of you. The third person of the triune Godhead resides in your heart, like resides in you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And you're telling me that the people in your sphere of influence can't see any difference at all? May it not be so. We are called to live differently. And to some, that difference is going to be appealing. It's going to be our witness. It's going to be our testimony. We will lead others to be different with us because of our difference. But then there are some who that aroma of Christ will actually be a stench. And they won't like you. So now hear me, okay? If you're not a Christian in here, I've been just talking to Christians for a minute. Uh, I'll just shoot straight with you. If you're not a Christian in here, in 2023, in Denver, Colorado, if you start following Jesus, it's not getting easier. It, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. Listen, we live in a society today that's becoming more and more and more appalled, not appealed, appalled by what we believe. But it's our call as exiles to live a different life. So how do you do finances? I mean, are you just like the world? Or do you do these things differently? What about sexuality? Got a lot of single people in our church. You following right after the world or do you live a different life? How about social media? What you post? How about alcohol? You drinking just like your buddies do? And listen, I'm not... 
an anti-beer guy. I'm an anti-natty ice guy. I'm not an anti-beer guy. How about gossip? <laughs> At work, when everybody else is bad-mouthing the boss, how do you handle that situation? What about politics? That'll be something to talk about next November, right? That'll be good fun. Is your life, I'm asking this, is your life distinguishably different in any way? If not, that is cause for concern. You're commanded to a different life. Let's keep going. Verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. This is the third imperative. The third way exiles are different from the rest of the world is that we are to have a different fear. A different fear. The imperative is conduct yourselves with fear. Be afraid. Be fearful. The idea of fearing God, again, is not super popular. Even, even within churches, because God's your homeboy. God's your buddy. I love Jesus. He's like, my, he's like lives in my heart, like a little, little Stuart Little in my pocket. Like that's who Jesus is to me. <laughs> and that's not what the primary response to an encounter with the God of the universe is in the Bible. It's not like, let me get a snuggle with you, Jesus, on your shoulder. It's fear. Trembling. It's, it's reverent awe and respect with the, like sometimes people are like when they, when, like when I die, I'm going to ask, I can't wait to get to the pearly gates and just like ask him. It's like, no, you're not going to ask him anything. You die, you come before your maker and you will fall before him in reverence and awe, in fear and trembling, in delight. Yes, but in, in deference. So it's a different fear. Now, some are going to point to 1 John. Okay, I'll put this up here, 1 John 4. There is no fear in love. Okay, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not yet been perfected in love. So that's, listen, that's a different kind of fear than what Peter's talking about. Okay, that means that there are two types of fear. There is some fear that is bad, and the Bible speaks against it. There's a kind of fear that will paralyze you. There's a kind of fear that will restrict you and you'll have trust issues. It'll bleed over into every relationship you have. It's the kind of fear that will rob you of life. Okay, you're so afraid that you lose the fullness and goodness of what God has for you in this world. And the love of Christ, uh, what, what John says, it casts that out like a demon. It puts that out of you. But our text is talking about a good fear, a different fear than that. Now, here's how I've uh, historically illustrated the fear of the Lord. 
About 15 years ago, my sweet mother-in-law, Mary Robinson, uh, was walking in a Target parking lot when a distracted woman slammed into her with her car, hit my sweet Mary Robinson with her car, and she hit the hood and then hit the ground, like hood ground, a couple of hits going on there. Uh, Mary was rushed to the hospital, had to have surgery, right? I'm remembering this correctly? No surgery. I made that up, okay? (laughs) It was treacherous, okay? It was actually a Sunday, though, because I was leading worship, yeah. Um, Okay, but it it happened, okay? It was wild. We were all nervous. I told my daughter Harper that story when she was three, because I'm a dummy, okay? Because I'm dumb, all right? Uh, And and what happened is my three-year-old, this was years later, I told her about this story, and Harper, at that point, developed a fear of the Target parking lot, Remember this? She did. Literally, she did. And so we would get to Target, and Harper would recognize the big red circle with the the red dot. She would recognize that we're at Target, and I would come to her car seat, and I would try and get her out of her car seat, but she wouldn't let me put her down. She would grab a hold of my waist and, like, fireman pull down my legs and sit on my feet. Just, like, kind of sit there because she was afraid of the parking lot. Now, hear me. That's a good fear for a three-year-old. So maybe, maybe I'm not as dumb a parent as I, I actually, I'm a great parent, okay? That was actually really <laughs> smart. Because listen, at three, she was too small for, for rear view mirrors and like, you know, busy moms with their yoga pants on going to Target. She might slam my kid. And hear me, I wanted to, to, to her to grow up. Like, I love her. I wanted, I wanted her to have a healthy fear of the parking lot. That's the good kind of fear. It's not a bad kind of fear. Because she didn't like lay at bed at night going, oh my God, there's, there's, there's parking lots everywhere, daddy. That's bad fear. And at three, it's good fear. She calls me up in college, like at 20, and is like, I'm at school and there's a parking lot. What do I do? Like, that's, that's bad. That's bad fear. But at three, it's good. It's for her good. What's the good fear, the different fear that we as exiles have The text says it. The text says that we serve a God who judges. Now, that's way different than the world. You want to lose all popularity? Talk about God's judgment. That's what the text says. We have a God who judges impartially. Just start talking about God's judgment and everybody is going to be judged by. Everyone will be judged by God. Not just, not just those outside. You will be judged by God. Christian, you will be judged by God. I will be judged by God. Everyone will be judged fully and impartially based on what they did and why they did it. And that should make a stand in irreverent fear of God. That everything done in the darkness will be brought to light. That everything that was done in hidden will be made plain for the Christian and the non-Christian alike. That's scary. That should lead us to some fear. I'm I'm fearful of that. I'm saved 20-some years. I'm a pastor, planted this church. I still don't want you to see what I think because you'd kick me out of here. And don't tell me that's just me. Okay, we've all driven on Santa Fe. We know how this goes. (laughs) 
This should make us stand in a reverent fear of God. That judgment without what he will say next would have led us straight to eternal damnation. But in verse 18, look at it again. It says, knowing that you were ransomed, not by silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus. Our salvation and God's judgment should lead us to a fear of God. Our salvation should lead us to fear him. Meditating on the price, the cost for the ransom price for your life, for your heart, for your eternity should lead us to fear. How great the judgment of God was against us and how great the payment he made for us should make us stand in wonder, should make us stand in awe, should make us bow in fear of who he is. It makes us afraid. Listen, it should make us afraid of ever being apart from him again. It should make us afraid for our friends and family members who are far from him. It should make us afraid, filled with awe and wonder at the treasure that he has given us. It's fear, but listen, it's the same as the hope. It's confident fear. It is fear, but it's a good fear. It's a fear of what your life would have been like without him. It's a fear and an awe and a wonder at how secure you are in him. It's not just like, oh, buddy, Jesus, love you. So we're exiles. This text teaches that we are exiles. This is not our home. And that means we have a different hope, a different life, and a different fear. Set your hope fully on God's future. Be holy as God is holy and conduct yourself with fear. Those are the commands. They feel weighty to me. Like if I'm honest this week, they feel like, I don't know if I can do that. And I can't. Like I've got good news, even at the end of this thing. And that is with all those difficult imperatives, you're not called to be different all by yourself. In fact, you are called to be different together. You're called to be different together, like like with one another, like with me. You can be different, I can be different, we can be different together. Like that's actually the call. Remember, this is a letter, not to an individual, this is a letter to churches, to communities of people, to groupings of Christians who are under heavy persecution. And his his goal is to encourage them to, yes, live differently, but do it in community. Do it together. I heard another pastor share this illustration. I just want to end with this, okay? Uh, When a herd of cows, I looked it up on Google, okay? This is a real thing, okay? At least that's what Google tells me, where anybody can post anything about anything. So take it as you will. But when a herd of cows senses a storm coming, they run away from it. And they scatter as they run from the store. I, uh, storm. I don't know if cows are like normally very smart or dumb. Like, I don't know, like sheep are dumb. Like we kind of know that, but like are cows intelligent? I don't know. I'm guessing they're not. This guy's from Texas. He knows. Okay. 
cows scatter and flee when a storm approaches. But buffalo, not, not okay, not the, those kinds, but, but, but buffalo, buffalo, by contrast, when they sense a storm coming, they instinctively do the opposite. Uh, they actually huddle together and they walk head on into the storm. You can look this up on Google, okay? I'm not sure if it's real or not, but uh, I'm sure the cow cousins are looking at them and they're like, why? What crazy? You serious? The storm is coming. It's dark over there. It's light over there. We go on this way, but the buffalo turn and they face the storm and they head in there together. And it's crazy. It gives them three distinct advantages. First, it shortens the storm for them because they actually are walking through it as it's passing over them. Second, the fur on a buffalo is thicker on their front side than on their back side, which gives them extra protection and warmth from that storm. And third, they find additional protection from being in the herd, from remaining together as they face that storm. And I think that illustrates what Peter's trying to get at in this first chapter of 1 Peter. Like we get to be different together. We get to be different together. We don't need to run away from the hardships of this world. We don't need to turn and scatter all over this place because we're afraid of that oncoming storm. No, rather we get to take it on head on together because together we're stronger. Together we've got more protection. And together we can shorten the experience of those oncoming storms. We're called to be different together. And you see, this is what our church ought to be about. This is what every church ought to be about. We ought to have, in this church, we ought to have newer Christians. We ought to have weaker Christians. We ought to have wounded Christians. And we ought to just like take them in. Like bring them in right into the middle of this herd and just say, hey, get in here. Get in here. It's safer in here together. It's warmer in here together. We're, we're, we're together on this. We can handle this together. The, 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 the world, that storm that's coming, it won't affect you as much when you're in here. This is, listen, this is why we believe in meaningful membership here at the church. This is why we push you towards small groups here at the church. This is why we want you to serve here at the church. Not just so we can get some stuff done. Listen, I can probably do most of the things better than you anyway. I am a professional churchman, okay? And I've seen how some of you greet, okay? No, I'm just kidding. It's not because we need to get something done. It's because together we are better. We get to be different together. So Christian, you're called to live the life of an exile. You're called to be different. You're called to be weird. This world is not your home. You're from another country. You're, you're from Zamunda. And you too have a mission, not to find a queen. No, your mission is to be different and that will be an aroma of Christ to the lost and dying world around you. And take heart, you don't have to do it alone. If you're not in here, hey, the invitation is get in here. If it's not here, hey, get in somewhere else, but get in somewhere. Get in the herd. Let's be different together. I love you guys. Let's pray together. Father, we bless you. It is a good and right thing to 
read your word and to think about what you have done for us and to understand all of the indicatives that come with being a follower of Christ. And Father, it is also good and right for us to then turn the page and look at the commands, the imperatives. And Father, I just want to remind myself and each one of us that you did first and we do second. That the indicative always precedes the imperative. And so we are exiles and we have been saved. We have been born again to a living hope and our, our, our hope is in a, a certain future with you. And now because of all of those things, because they are true, we want to live differently. I'm sure there, that we're being hit in all different ways by this because none of us is different perfectly. So Holy Spirit, you are the true preacher of Fathom Church. Preach to our hearts. Convict us of areas that we are aligning ourselves with the world. Convict us of areas where we aren't being the aroma of Christ to our friends and our family, to the spheres of influence that we live and play and work in. And convict our hearts, Father, to have a good and reverent fear of the God who made us and sustains us, who saved us and empowers us to be in the world and not of the world. Lord, we love you. We bless your name and we pray these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit and all God's people said.